Hello and welcome along to a special edition of The World Game here. I'm your host, Lucy Zellich, and it's a real delight to have your company, as it is the gentleman here joining me today, Craig Foster, SBS Chief Football Analyst. It's great to have your company. Hi, always good to see you, Lucy. And welcome to you, Sydney Morning Herald journalist, Dominic Bossy. Hello, Dom. Hey, Lucy. Thanks for having me on. And it's also a real treat for us to have a legend in our presence here today, uh, former Socceroo, uh, a glittering goalkeeper with the 1974 team that took us to the World Cup in Germany, and a former FFA board member, Jack Riley. Jack, great to have your company here today. Lucy, it's an absolute pleasure to be here with the people who are on the committee. <laughs> well, it's incidentally where we're going to start, and it's with you, Jack. Uh, firstly, I'd like to hear your reaction to everything that's occurred uh, within Australian football. It's been such a difficult period throughout this pandemic, but what it's done is really shone the light and brought out the microscope on, on the major issues that the game is facing at the moment. How have you reacted to it all? Lucy, as you know, I am a very, very, very... Uh, nothing worse than being a Scottish Virgo. Everything has got to be absolutely correct, A to Z. I commit to the paper all the time. So I will just read a few things out to you right now that have been wrong within the game for an extended period of time, and we all need to resolve it. Uh, soccer Action, 1982. Frank Lowy. Many... Progressive moves are being stifled because of the vested interests of state representatives on the ASF, in my view, to the detriment of soccer generally. You know, huge statement. What has been done to fix it since 1982? Since the inception of the age, that's 16 years coming up now, $4.16 billion has been spent on the game. That's at all levels, at state federations, A-league clubs, back through the children's makeup. We must have a look. Everybody says there's no money available for the game. That's nonsense. There has been that amount. The A-league clubs have lost close on 400 million. And that in itself is not a true reflection because we have got many, many, many good business people within A-League clubs. If they were running their businesses the same way as they're running the games, they would be bankrupt. There is a different way of doing it. Accountability is a word that is totally missing in our game and must be brought into it. I couldn't agree more. Well said, Jack, on that. Um, Dom, I want to come to you on this issue. Uh, you've been covering the game now for nine years. And, uh, you know, in that period, of course, I'm sure you've also been privy to a lot of information. You've had your ear to the ground recently in the stories that you've broke as recently as Friday, which have said that ultimately Fox Sports have not paid their final instalment as part of this season. There have been so many issues with the game. But um, what are your sources telling you on, on where things are at truthfully? It's a, it's, a huge, uh, it's a huge question. I think there are many different areas that need to be addressed. Uh, the most pressing in terms of our current uh, climate and situation with the A-League being suspended is obviously the broadcast. Uh, that's, you know, uh, clubs are understandably very concerned about the future of that, what that means for the, for the game, uh, revenue sources as well. But I think the problems probably stem a lot deeper, as Jack touched on. I think, um, you know, state member federations have... Uh, I think some have done some, some great work. Others have been, uh, you know, they've 
dragged the chain a little bit. And I think there's a lot of angst about that issue. Uh, but I think there are, you know, there's a, we, we've got to look at player pathways, player production. I, I think the, basically the whole of the game is almost at the point of needing another Crawford report. But the problem was last time we did it, we didn't uh, administer half of the recommendations, if not more. Foz, to you on that, uh, you know, these are issues that are not new to the community. In fact, yourself and, and even those before you, the likes of Johnny Warren, Les Murray, had been advocating for these types of changes and agitating for them for the last 30 plus years. Uh, why are we still in this scenario? That is the biggest question. That is, actually. And, and from what I see, it's the reason why I'm, I'm really interested in some of the historic views of someone like Jack, who's been around <coughs> such a long time, is that football and sport, I think in part because the passion tends to have short-term uh, memory loss. Mm -hmm. And many of us who've been around a long, long time see the cycle repeating. And what concerns me at the moment is that naturally most of the talk will be about the symptoms instead of the root causes and the, we have but you know we've we've pulled out a vision of johnny and les and and jack and, and people back in the uh early 80s mid 80s 90s and all the way up to now saying exactly the same thing so the question is what's missing you know why is it that football continues to go in circles uh, and what, what is it in the game that brings us back to this place again? Because if we don't explore that now, before, before talking about youth development and things that, you know, everyone is pretty clear on and everyone has, uh, has disparate views on, uh, if we don't get to the root cause of why football follows this cycle all the time, then we'll be here in another 10 years with a different board, with a different uh, um, cohort of people saying the same stuff, just a different generation. So, you know, my, my, I'll, I'll pledge that uh, question to Jack. That is, you know, right since those early 70s and then mid-70s, 80s and on, we have gone through this cycle of boom and bust in many ways, Jack. And okay. in your view, and you've been involved at every single level of the game. So as a kind of elder, having been on field, and now there's, a, there's wonderfully, we've got more ex-players becoming prominent publicly, which I'm a huge supporter of but you've also played roles in governance and with Melbourne Victory and then with FFA and others. What is wrong with football that we can't get ourselves organised? I'll, again, I will go back to things I've got on record, Craig. I will read you here a letter of the 25th of August, 1999, that I sent to Jeff Kennett in his role as Premier of Victoria. I appreciate the time you afforded me on behalf of soccer at our meeting on 13th of July. It was excellent to see you. As I explained to you, I'm appalled at the lack of administrative ability within the sport and absence of any meaningful management process. I will never forget representing Australia in the 1974 World Cup Finals, a, a feat obviously, unfortunately, never repeated. It has saddened me to observe the futile attempts of successive administrations to come to grips with what is required to succeed at elite level. The formula is simple, plan first and work hard to achieve it. No different to your Victoria. That goes on. But right now, Craig, we need a total debate with everybody involved in football. Don't lock anybody out from that debate. From that debate, put in place 
You won't fix it in a month or three months. A one, three, five-year program. And bring in the people who are going to be held totally accountable for the delivery of that program. And as I say, the money is there. I wanted to start a future fund at one stage. Mr. Lowy wouldn't allow it. That future fund today would have $248 million in it, and nobody would have put in more than $25. We've got to use the strengths that we have to ensure that we put in place a plan and bring in the accountability to make us what we should be. It is capable of being done, but a lot of people have got to change their attitude. Totally change their attitude. Okay, so we we have quite often, Luce uh, and Dom, a, a, this debate around culture, this discussion, I'm not sure it's a debate, but around culture in football and, and how it can be so limiting and, um, you know, and how, you know, people conduct themselves and so on against what we see often as inverted commas, the best interests of the game. And that's a concept that we've never really defined. But let's, you know, if we look at uh, back in you know, the, the, the early to late 90s, when I was involved in the Players Association heavily, Jack, and I was a player in the national team, right through to the recent times and governance reform, you know, and then this, uh, you know, the new inception of the A-League um, and, you know, the Lowy family being involved and close confidants. And now through to recent, what you say, governance reform. Um, and Lowy came in post Crawford, where Dom is right in saying that we did not implement, um, you know, much of that Crawford report, uh, which was a government report recommending to our sport what to do. One of which those recommendations was a really key one, which was independence independence of decision-making. Now, what happened after that is the Lowys came in and said that they were independent, but actually that wasn't the case either. So we've gone from one extreme deep politicization of the game to an autocratic model, in which case, um, you know, the professional game has been largely mismanaged and was financially unsustainable. Now to a point where the questions are being talked about again, rightly if we are to finally reform the game anyone what is it that needs to occur now to overcome this disease this curse of history of going through cycles and in particular i would say politics where short-term self-interest prevails in football over this sense of uh, national strategy unity and whole of game thinking Dom, sorry no you're right no you're right i was going to say dom let's start with you and then we'll work our way back through to jack it's, it's a it's probably the most important question to ask but the, the most difficult one to answer because we're talking about culture uh you know we're, we're talking about a history of self-interest just kind of almost white anting the game to some extent and it's a, it's a really difficult one to sort of even define, let alone to, to address. But I think, I know I've mentioned it, but I think you need to come back to something like the Crawford Report because it was an external set of eyes looking at the game and telling us what, that, what, you know, what would work in the game's best interest. I think we need to look at studies like that. Um, 
you know, in regards to the A-League, there was another great one done by the PFA in, I think, was it the late 90s, early 2000s, about the Australian uh, Premier League, I think it was called. That's got some great recommendations as well. I think that's probably a good starting block uh, in, in terms of looking at how we sort of get rid of it because it sets benchmarks. It sets uh, goals that we can achieve for the good of the game, you know, which, as, as Craig said, is sort of a vague term that's thrown about a lot as well. Well, that's actually something that's quite definitive about certain aspects. I think that's probably a good starting point. Uh, but I think we could, you know, why not, you know, why not look to other organisations as well that have succeeded, you know, and how they've grown their sport, how they've grown it. But, but you know, only in, in a governance sense. I'm not talking about in a... Yeah, you know, losing at what makes football special and unique as well. Jack, before you answer that question, um, you know, I think that Foz has raised some really good points there about how do we overcome this disease because it seems to be an inherent scourge on the game and has been since people, uh, you know, the aforementioned people have been in power. We haven't seemed to be able to overcome that type of toxic culture which sees vested interests and the almighty dollar prevail over the good of the game, as everyone seems to say. But I mean, how do you see it, Jack? And is it something that we can actually overcome? not a question of whether we can overcome it or not. We must overcome it. Otherwise, the game will continue to go backwards. I, I, I go back to something as recent as David Gallup coming to uh, take on the position of CEO. Within the first three weeks of doing so, he put on the table a paper on <clears throat> a governance work for Football Federation Australia. I have got comments all over that, and that he said, please come back to the next board meeting and we will discuss it. He also met two days later with every director, one-on-one, -on -one, and asked them all the same 20 questions, something along the lines of, what is your view of how the FFA board functions? What is your view of the FFA management team and staff are performing? Name five things we must keep doing. And questions all the way through. I thought, this is fantastic. We are going somewhere. No debate was ever allowed at the board level on those answers or the fact that David Gallup had put on the table a governance framework for Football Federation Australia. Absolutely disgraceful. If that had been done at that point of time, I doubt very much if we'd be having this discussion. And you mentioned David Crawford. His job was done magnificently. He went out to people within the game and sought their advice. The big thing that Crawford had in his report, there had to be a review at the end of years, was never allowed, did not happen. If that had happened, I doubt very much if we would be having this discussion now. And he was excellent. He didn't try to write the report himself. He went out to the people within the game. It was phenomenal. That's what we must do now. Go out to the people within the game. Hear from them what be. I can tell you now, you can get $25 from every one or two million supporters tomorrow any time we want it. Yeah, well, I, I wrote a report on the Mexico Under-17 World Cup. And I was very, very, very 
brutal in certain areas, but very complementary in others. And I expected that to be distributed to the board. Two weeks later, I got told it would not be distributed to the board because it would create a precedent. What, reporting on what's happening within the game, a precedent? The only thing that was wrong with it was that it was having a go at certain people and that fixes things in life if you get on with ensuring you're going in the right direction. That's where we fall down dramatically. We get enormous feedback from everybody within the game and we just shut them out. Stop doing it. Hear them, put the people in the office of the board and there is no doubt in the world, we need one governing body with professional management in each state and an independent A-League. No doubt in the world. A-League wants to lose money, let them do it under their own management. I think you'll see it change pretty quickly. And we need one governing body. There's about a $24 million bonus for doing it in cost alone. So, yeah, I don't just say it now. I've been saying it for 32 years and we just don't get listened to. Craig, I remember I put it out to the marketplace. Oh, Craig, what is it? About eight years ago now. And we both had a go at it then. So yeah. let's, let's be totally positive of where we are right now. The game requires total review. Then it requires the right people to put the result of that total review into operation and be held accountable for it. That's where we've got to get to. Foz, I, I want to come back to you now on this subject. It's all well and good for us to have this discussion, say we need the right people in these positions. Um, in order to affect change, we need strong-minded, uh, football-focused people who will be prepared to do that. But unfortunately, with the current ecosystem and the governance structure, it's a bottom-up approach. And the federations are in control here, and it's really come to light now. I mean, it's not, again, new information, but it's come to light now just how toxic their involvement uh, in the governance structure really is what's your view on it and how do we actually change it without just talking about it? well what's important is to recognize that the governance of the game broadly always needed fundamental reform because the game the game's uh, structure systemically encourages certain behaviors that may that politicizes most people's involvement that externalizes great people. Many, many people through decades now say, look, I just can't, I just don't want to be involved in that. Mm -hmm. right? And it, it encourages certain types of people to get into positions of, of governance who, um, who have utilized the system to their benefit. And it's more akin to domestic and national politics than it has been akin to the management. Mm -hmm of a, a, a sporting pursuit that people love and that has a whole range, uh, you know, a hierarchical structure where everyone has to be supported, right? Um, but what Jack said there is important also to recognise is that what he's saying is when David Gallup came in relatively recently, he also immediately recognised some very significant and serious governance flaws in FFA. And he put to the board a review process um, saying this needs to change. This is how I want to run a review as, as in, into how this organisation operates. 
to run it in a professional, accountable um, manner. And that, that process was never followed. Now, the reality is, and we've said it many times, that football is kind of like, you know, we've, we've had to eat, you know, bad sandwiches so often that if, you know, we get a little bit better meal, then everyone's happy to look aside. Okay, but don't forget that what we wanted was fundamental reform and independent decision making and the highest level of accountability. And when we set up the A-League and, you know, and many people have said since that, you know, we had the chairman of FFA at that time, Frank Lowy, owning the probably the biggest club in the country. And he was the chairman of the governing body. <laughs> so in other words, he did some wonderful things. But the reality for football is you need to decide now if that's acceptable for football anymore mm. if that continues to be acceptable then the game is going to come back here again i, I just use it as one example and the reason it's an important example is because football community and fans knew that frank could bring a lot of positive energy and money and contacts so they were prepared to look aside but what you need to understand is that we all talk about the culture the culture is wrong that's where the culture begins. The culture begins at the top. And every state organisation and every club in the country says, well, if that's how football's administered, well, that's fine for me. If it's fine for them, it obviously must be good for me. So what is your starting point? And, that's, and, and there, was, there was elements of that which were wrong. And sadly, by making a real statement for independence, uh, then, you know, Frank could have set the game on a different path, okay? So those are very significant issues which we need to face as a game. And it's not good enough to say just now is horrible, that was brilliant, before was it. This is a cycle. It's gone around and around and around. <laughs> so gov uh, the system and the structure is a really important one because I believe that it guides much of the culture. And I am an advocate and have been along with Jack for a very long time, as was Johnny, as was many others, of a unitary model where we remove as many levels of political uh, machinations and decision-making as possible. Why is because I, I believe it's unnecessary. It burdens the game with, um, with levels of uh, politics which are debilitating uh, and... We also have a federated system in the game whereby most of the assets and the finance are housed at levels of the game rather than the governing body, which is tasked with a national approach. I'll give you an example why it's so important um, that we fundamentally revisit the governance structure and model of the game and go back to Crawford and what he was talking about. Okay. Um, I was recently talking to, so the commercial reality of the game is under very severe challenge right now. And it's the financial model that is being looked at, but it's the system which delivers that. And one of the major sponsors, one of the biggest sponsors of the last 15 years of our professional game, I met with maybe four or five months ago. And that, that department said to me, listen, when we work in other sports, I would have to, I can work with a governing body and I can reach down through all of the levels down to the grassroots, which is ultimately what we're trying to influence. The reason that we sponsor here is we want to get to the people who play. And I can do that through maybe four or five people, head office and maybe state. When I work with football, and we're talking about tens of millions of dollars investment here, 
I have to work with up, up to 25, 30 different people in seven or eight different organisations in the, if you like, the hierarchical structure with different objectives, different culture and complete lack of alignment. In order to get, in order to, you know, be a partner of a competition or a national team, whatever the case is, and then talk to people in our local community who play football, that I have to zig and zag the whole way, mm. rather than what should happen for <clears> our sport. <throat> this is the big challenge for us. What is the system which is going to deliver to those people, which are an important stakeholder, the opportunity to be able to go there and connect with us here? Finally, why is it so important? Because this is what the professional game is about. Why is the professional game struggled all the time and being really financially unsustainable? Um, why has that happened? Two reasons. Well, many reasons. But number one um, is, is because the APL plan wasn't followed. Uh, and that was about, you know, everything people talk about today. You know, a boutique stadia, connection with grassroots, um, you know, local brands, all these things. Secondly, is because the grassroots of the game has never been effectively connected to the professional game. Why? Because we have to go through four or five levels, including state bodies, um, which are their own political um, foundations in order to try and make that happen. So as recently as last year, the professional game was talking about buying off the states as part of the election in order to get them to, to get the, the grassroots participants under the professional clubs. Okay, that is never, ever going to work. That's the structure encourages that. Okay, so, um, so that, that disalignment um, will never work for the professional game. Um, and it doesn't work politically and it demonstrably has not worked to deliver a game that is unified, that is aligned. It ends up in factions um, trying to seize control and, and, uh, and influence the game to their own benefit. Okay? And that has always been the case. My question now is everyone wants to talk about it, which is fantastic. And the more people who want to talk about this right now, get out and talk because you're not going to have another opportunity like this. But the question is to overcome history. And that means complete fundamental reform of the way the game is structured and governed. So do we, Dom, have to rely on government intervention once again to get the reform that we're seeking? Because it seems as though, and Foz and I, you and I have had these conversations where we've said the only real positive change that we've seen, and I'm not saying that's a, a completely overarching statement, but the only fundamental positive change that we really see in the game comes as a result of government intervention, as a result of someone external coming in and having a look at the issues that, we've, that we're facing as a, as a sport, and then providing their suggestions on a way forward. Um, is, is, that, is that something that we could potentially look to, to save us in this instance, Don? Because I don't know, I'm not convinced that we're capable of solving this problem from within. That's a good point. I don't think there's been a great deal of maturity in decision-making in football, well, pretty much since I've been involved and even following for the last 25 or so years. But I think to answer your question, do we need it? Well, we shouldn't because a lot of it is already there uh, in, you know, the Crawford, the Crawford report. Uh, we should be very careful about advocating for government intervention as well, because that would actually be, you know, in breach of FIFA's regulations and the, the level of government intervention could actually have ramifications that go against football. But uh, I don't think 
I'd like to know what that invention, that intervention entails before we sort of say, you know, yes, we need it or we start campaigning for it. Uh, but um, I want to just kind of jump back to, to something as well that's, uh, that uh, Jack mentioned, Tw uh, 24 million benefits in, uh, in amalgamating the states and bringing them under the umbrella of Football Federation Australia. If that's still true of 2020 in terms of that figure, that's two and a half times the national registration fees that, um, that FFA collect annually. So we look at, you know, again, the cost of the game and fixing it. I mean, the, yeah, we, we know the benefits already. You know, if that's the case, maybe we don't need external intervention. We just need to listen to, to some of you know, the stats here and, and, and the advice. Um, but look, I, I think coming back to your question, Lucy, as well, like we have, we, we know the A-League needs to be independent. We know that we need to have an, an independent uh, professional tier of, uh, of football here. I think the question is what we need to ask ourselves is what does that independence now look like? We are gradually moving towards that. The A-League is on course to become independent of the, of, uh, of the FFA, I think in 2023 at this rate. Now, what have the owners of the A-League clubs actually proposed that model looks like? Are we going to have a commission that, that runs it? Now, what, what are the plans for expansion? What are the plans for women's football that, that you know, will be attached to it? As of yet, we haven't seen that. So I think we need to... I think there are questions we can ask of ourselves in the game before we start calling for someone else to come in and intervene for our benefit. My concern with that, Dom, though, is, and I'll pose the same question to you, Jack, I'm not confident that we've got people capable of solving the problem. That's my issue. But I'd like to, to hear your thoughts on the current administration. I mean, I know it's a, it's a difficult opinion to have, uh, particularly when it concerns someone like James Johnson, who's only been deployed in the role for less than three months now uh, and has walked into a, a real storm. Uh, and obviously, you know, in spite of the pandemic, I think this is a, a time where the sport is, is facing real critical challenges as it is. But now with this, you know, the, the COVID-19 outbreak and with all of this in the mix, it's made things far more complicated. But with the current administration and the, the governance structure that we have, are you confident that we can achieve reform without needing to seek external intervention? I don't believe that we should do anything other than go out to everybody, it, whether it's within or without. Let's be so lack of self-interest and throw the politics out to such an extent that we bring in the people that we are totally convinced can deliver on a program which has been set by everybody within the game. Everybody. I don't care if it's mum and dad with their four children asking for certain things to be done, all the way through to the highest professional paid player. We must put in place a program that we say, yes, we can deliver on this, we are going to get the people that we believe are capable and we are going to hold them accountable. But the major problem they've got is the constitution we have. Let me just read you this. How much longer are we going to destroy the game I love by continuing to operate under a constitution which is diabolical? The refusal by the board of the day to review the corporate governance of the FFA when David Gallup submitted a 14-page document was disgraceful. Let's not forget, David was deputy chair of the Australian Sports Commission and the newly appointed CEO of FFA. The ASC in their annual review had scored FFA two out of five for corporate governance in their annual assessment. 
the submission was handed to each director at the end of a board meeting with a request to bring back comment to the next board meeting. The debate never took place, and when I was asked why, I was informed the chair would not allow it. I still have the paper in my files with my comments for discussion written all over the pages. A constitution which allows a vote of seven votes for and three against to be a victory for the minority. That's how our constitution was. A seven for and three against the three one. Uh, how stupid is that? That's like Melbourne victory two, Melbourne city one being a win for city. What is the result of this farce? FIFA appointing a committee to review the governance of the game. I, I was very, very annoyed when FIFA were brought in, uh, especially the people who were put into the positions, many of whom knew nothing whatsoever about football and how football, why we are in the position we are in. And I still firmly believe that our uh, FIFA had many, many, many more people being uh, looked at as far as their uh, professional reputations were concerned than we did. So I was very annoyed when FIFA came. I think there are enough people in this country who know what's got to be done for the game and have got sufficient uh, exercise in their mind to go out to the public and hear what else they would like to see the game do. As I say, we have spent $4.16 billion. What have we done with it? What should have the result been? Why are we not challenging ourselves as to what we should have done as opposed to what we have done? Then put in place the program, as I say, get the people who can be held totally accountable, bring them in and Check the three-month result, the six-month result, the nine-month result. If changes are required, we bring them to us and we get the changes done. I firmly believe the game could be wildly successful in the period of uh, four to six years, but we can't do it any quicker and it must be against the thoughts of everybody and the diligence of those put in place to deliver. It seems to me that all we've continued to do for the last 30 years plus is have conversations about our pipe dreams for football and what we would like to see happen. And I feel as though this conversation today and those that have been held across various other platforms uh, during this pandemic particularly are no different to that. But how do we break that cycle? Um, how do we go from us talking about what our visions for a greater game are to seeing them eventuating? Um, you need the final step of reform, okay? Um, so, you know, we had, as you said before, we've had a couple of key moments of intervention. One was actually the steward inquiry, um, which once again was the government, and that was around ethics and governance. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we had the Crawford report, which was because the game was bankrupt. And so you had this financial driver. Now what you've got is kind of a perfect storm because you've got a financial driver, um, and, you know, a significant level of angst around, um, you know, what's occurred in the last 12 months, you know, whether it's Matilda's or a whole heap of other things, you know, the game has seemingly kind of just lurched from, you know, issue to issue. And now you've got some, uh, you know, a higher number of prominent voices coming out, in particular ex-players, which in my view is very, very long overdue. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you've got some really strong triggers creating a moment for potential reform. So it's not just change for change's sake. It's about what are the lessons that we've missed before? What, what didn't we implement that perhaps we should have? And, uh, you know, this re- most recent era is a really great example because it's no good. In fact, the recent board prior, prior to this, um, you know, post-new election, we're talking about independence of decision-making. There's no independence of decision-making. When, when people who are in positions of authority are owning or part ownership in clubs, that's a really important issue. Because other clubs, why do you think, what are the factors that were driving the game to once again have to change its governance model? <laughs> and and that, that angst was, was justified because the people who were paying the costs of the decision-making um, were uh, seeing that there was very limited, uh, you know, or that there were other factors involved in some decisions that were made. I mean... Don't forget, we didn't have, for the first six years, I think, a derby within the A-League. Okay, put aside the fact that's patently ridiculous. No one in football would ever do that. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. But, you know, why Why did the Wanderers not... Why did we expand the A-League? And, and what I'm saying to you is football fans and people need to come to terms with this or we're not going to get it right, in my view. Okay? It's no good looking back 10 years now and saying that was really good and now we need to go back there or... No. There were problems with all of the eras that we've had. And this is our chance to actually erase it and say, everyone's made a contribution, well done, but what does ideal look like? Okay? And the expansion of the A-League was a fantastic example of um, you know, lack of independence. So the A-League, which was losing tens, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars at that time, decided that the first expansion rather than into your major markets and create derbies, was to go to um, uh, Gold Coast and um, North Queensland. Like that, that isn't, that, there is no sanity in that decision and no fan should think that that was sane. It wasn't sane. But the dissenting voices at the time, this is culture, this is what we need to come to terms with, is that the dissenting voices at the time saying that's not right. Um, you know, you, you need to have complete independent decision-making and we need another club in Sydney immediately. And the fact that we have a chairman who, you know, is involved in one of the clubs is not proper here. Um, and it's not good enough to say we remove ourselves from decision-making. It's just not right. So those moments are endemic to culture and culture builds from them. We went into regional, complex, difficult markets where most sports have failed miserably and have, and have had to sink in tens of millions of dollars, hundreds maybe, in order to um, succeed or even survive, um, we went there instead of expanding you know, into areas because people in influence on decision-making um, you know, were in a position of conflict. Did that influence the decisions? I don't know, it wasn't at the table. The point is, that's called the conflict of interest. That's what you're not supposed to have. That's a fundamental principle of governance. Okay, that might be the reasons why David Gallup come in and said, listen, I'm happy to come and work at FFA, but I am part of the Sports Commission and went on to become chair. And you might disagree with some of the decisions I make. I don't really know this game that well, but what I do know is governance, okay? And one of the first things he did when he came in was said, I have a reputation to protect here and I want to see some accountability and some governance principles in place. Subsequently, it appears that he just gave up. 
right? And, and you know, because he couldn't get that through. So the reason I'm hard, that's why I think a, a, a discussion on history is really important. So everyone, everyone prominent in the game over 50 years has talked about a unitary model and removing different layers of politics. Can it occur now to your previous question? Yes. Um, is, is the, are these discussions going to bring it about? No, but they are important to inform our game, to inform the, the football public and, and, you know, let them reflect on good and bad. And there has been good in good and bad in, well, almost every era. Um, but when do we get all good? When do we, when do we finally put in place, learn from our historic lessons and say, okay, let's remove those things that didn't work and just get a fully independent commission running the game, which was asked. That's what Crawford asked for. That's what we asked for. And I might say, by the way, that the Players Association were fundamental to that reform of the game at that time. And the players gave up millions of dollars in entitlements to close down the NSL and start again. And they had their own model and they bought into independence of decision-making and they didn't get it. Okay? They didn't get it. We didn't get, we supported the Crawford report and we didn't get that implementation. What we got was half of it. What we got was a new model was, you know, I will have full control of this and I'll make my own decisions. And so eventually the clubs who are spending the money are going to break that to pieces. And that's what happened. So now we need true independence of decision-making and how does that work? And we need the least number of um, levels of politics possible. And we need to reimagine the financial model of the game. Uh, um, Jack talked about 24 million. There is a huge, everyone knows there's a huge asset base and, and capital base right down through the game, through uh, state bodies and particular associations and so on that the game has never been able to use. Um, what does it look like in order, you know, for that to be put at the service of the game nationally? And how do we connect the game so that everything is aligned from top to bottom and we have absolute accountability uh, and in particular, genuine, for the first time, genuine independence of decision-making in the best, broader interests of the game. Well said, Foz. As we look to wrap up shortly, Dom, I want to come to you. If we don't reform the game in the ways that it needs to be done and performed, what type of repercussions are we inviting? because we've continued to talk about it and agitate for it for years, and we haven't really seen any change occur at the governance level, which is where we'd like to see the most fundamental change occur, because then that in effect will trickle down and then start to, to have an effect on the professional game right through to the grassroots. But what are the projected repercussions if we don't start to act now? So it's a good question. I'll I think that the governance of the game uh, and the reforms that we need are hugely important because they are withholding the game from its potential. And if you release those shackles on it, the, the game can grow. But if it doesn't, look, I'll talk about my world in the media. We are already seeing a huge, huge drop in interest across all media in the A-League, in the national teams, uh, in football as a whole. Now, if that goes and football just becomes an incredibly niche uh, product that people... Now, it goes back to effectively the old days. 
no one's going to be reading about it. No one's going to be watching it. We're going to lose the number of voices that we have talking about it. We're going to you know, lose the, the great stories of our game. And then that will just further sink interest in, in Australian football. That's probably the first repercussion. And that's probably going to be the one that's going to be the most notable. Beyond that, I mean, uh, and that sort of leads to, to everything else. Uh, and that's why I think this is, is hugely important. Uh, and coming to, you know, back to, to reforms, I'm really interested to see what happens with the independence of the A-League uh, and the governance model that they take and the way that they look after the best interest of the game. Because uh, some of the, there are a few alarm bells that I've seen in, in their, uh, their vision to me, look, I think a lot of it is good. I do agree with a lot of the fundamentals that it should be, you know, they should have ownerships uh, of the league and a stake in that. Expanding the number of foreigners in, in a league that doesn't, or in a football system that doesn't have a second division, uh, that doesn't have, you know, a genuine youth pathway, I think is not in the best interest of, of the game. I don't think that, uh, you know, betters the national teams. I don't think that also provides enough op opportunities for your know, fans to connect with local heroes, which is hugely important. Yeah, you know, I think that's something that, that uh, concerns me, you know, there's, I've heard there's a willingness for some clubs to push for eight foreigners without any plans for a second division. I mean, where do our national team players come from? We have cried, you know, for years and years and years about the performance of our junior national teams. Look at the number of minutes that they average, you know, players under the age of 23 and the players under the age of 21. You can halve that if, if we look to a model of eight players from overseas. Uh, that's, that's where I think, um, you know, questions are going to have to be asked or are going to have to be answered rather about the best interest of the game at the professional tier. It doesn't just stop with the independence of the A-League, Jack. Uh, obviously, the, the, the whole of game needs to be re reformed. But what do you think needs the most love, care and affection at this point in terms of where they should start off as a priority? The supporters of the game. The supporters of the game uh, as far as television, radio, attending games on the weekend. They are the people that we must take care of for the game to succeed. There is nothing without them. So therefore we've got to review that. And just for me to wind up as well, I just bring everybody to the questions again that David Gallup asked him two weeks into his seat. What is your view of how the FFA board functions? And I hammered that. What is your view of, and this was every director asked the same questions. What is your view of the FFA management team and staff are performing? Name five things we must keep doing. Name five things we must stop doing. Name five things we must start doing. What do you most hope I do? What are you most concerned I might do? What other advice do you have for me? How best can I help you? This was a man who was coming into a game that he knew very little about and yet was willing to put these questions to the people who were supposedly managing the game. Let's get out there and do it. I, I did it for a period of time and we're all aware of what uh, Frank Lowy had to say when I left the organization. So just to finalize things, I have got here Every, every recommendation from every director to me. Brian Swartz, I know your commitment to and love of the game are unparalleled, unparalleled. And again, I thank you for your contribution. Joseph Healy, 
You'll be missed around the table, but I'm certain you'll be making a telling contribution. Peter Sardenic, one of the guys who I thought could offer a phenomenal amount to the game, but got out because of what he saw. I think you should take a lot of this credit. I admired you as a player among the 74 heroes and enjoyed the fact we've been on the board together. Philip Walensky, likewise to you for all your commitment, time and energy and your contribution and collaboration in so many areas and important decisions along the way. Moya Dodd, thanks for the energy, passion, commitment and wisdom you have brought. It has been a great experience for me to share the boardroom with you. Jack, this is a very gracious and touching note. Thanks for the guidance you have given me. I will carry with me the honesty and passion you have brought to the boardroom every time. Frank Lowy, and this is very important, 26-6-2013. The first point I want to make is that you have done a good job. You certainly spent the time required and probably a lot more, and you have made a major contribution to the board deliberations. Three months later, he sends out, Jack, I concede that what I said in my interview was maybe unreasonable. You clearly did make a real contribution, and you did many things in the background that I was not aware of. Rest assured that I will acknowledge this and say so loudly when I get an opportunity before I depart as chairman. That's what happens in football. People make all sorts of promises, but they never keep them. We must get down to the nitty gritty of what has got to be done for the game, who's going to do it, who's going to support them, and who's going to thank them and everybody held that dreadful word of keeping an end accountable. My biggest problem in the game is that I'm too honest. Simple as that. I don't think it's a problem, Jack. I think it's an asset at a time like this. It's particularly critical. I want to ask one more question of each of you before we wrap up and, and keep your answers brief. But uh, Foz, first I'll start with you. Is it fixable? Can we fix this current situation? Well, more than being fixable, it's actually a moment when the game can reorganise itself and catapult in the next 20 years to where it's capable of going. And further to that, if we don't reform the game now, that's not going to happen. We're going to end up back here. Why? Because we've all, many of us have sat through this too many times. Every era has had positives and negatives. Every era. And this is the moment a very rare moment when we can actually assess all of the positives and negatives and design what is the ideal structure for football to reach its true potential. We won't have this opportunity again, probably not in my lifetime anyway. <laughs> I was gonna say certainly not in Jack's, but... <laughs> Sorry old buddy, but... Um, you know, this is a very, very rare opportunity to actually take a step back as people are doing in life, they're doing in community, they're reassessing their priorities, sport is reassessing its financial models and others, and we need to have a look at the, at the root causes of why we go in circles. We know what they are, they're largely structural, that develops much of the culture, that facilitates much of the conduct that's gone over, on over 50 years. We can change it but it's going to take everyone and it's going to take, uh, I think all the participants in the country, uh, it's going to take a really high level of articulation, some vision about what that looks like um, and to really get everyone on board. That's happened before on rare occasions. I do believe that it can occur. Um, and now is the time 
to uh, sit back, reflect on what the game has done over the last 100 years, really, and ask yourself the question, are you prepared to make the changes now that are going to set the game up for the next 100 years? Well said, Foz. Dom, is it fixable? It is fixable. I don't think we would be here if it wasn't. We'd be dedicating our, our passion to something else. Um, but I, I think this is the start of it, just talking about it, uh, raising these issues. I think to accelerate it, we'll probably need a big event to happen, something like, you know, touch wood, soccer is missing out on a World Cup again. You know, I think that that's something that would really generate mass public interest in the faults of the games and from a governance perspective. Uh, but I do think that, that it will happen. I think it's also starting to in very, very small steps as well. But um, it's the tip of the iceberg. Jack, to you, the final question, is it fixable? It is totally fixable, uh, but it takes a total debate. Everybody being heard, getting rid of the self-interest and politics that's within the game and put in place the people who are happy to be held accountable for the delivery. I firmly believe that we can uh, qualify for the World Cup on an ongoing basis. There's a lot got to be done about our youth situation, but it can be done. I, one thing that sickened me totally in the game was when uh, we wasted $50 million on a World Cup bid that had no real thrust whatsoever. And I firmly believe that if we put in place the right program after hearing from everybody within the game and out with the game as well, and be totally brutal in putting in place a one, three, five year program and people held accountable for the delivery in seven to nine years time, the game will lead the field but it requires that sort of commitment. Well, let's hope that those in those key positions that are able to affect that kind of change have that passion and commitment and dedication towards reforming the game. Gentlemen, Jack Riley, Dominic Bossy and Craig Foster, it's been an absolute pleasure to be in your company today and having conversations that are desperately needed at a critical time for the game. Thank you so much.